Hello. There we go. <coughs> Thank you to my fellow Zimbabwean. Um, we share a, a motherland together. Um, thanks for having me. Everyone's used the word warm so many times today, and I want to know if you guys know what that word means. Um, it's, a little, it's a little chilly. Um, <coughs> and apparently you guys also meet indoors. I've never been there. I've never, I've never preached in there. Uh, I don't know if you give me guys the outdoors uh, shift or, or what it is, but um, it's great to be with you guys anyway. Um, let me put a timer on so we're not here till tonight. I've got to get to my meeting at six. So. <clears throat> um, as Tawanda said, my name is um, Kyle, and I'm from... Uh, <laughs> there was a pause there. There was a pause. And I've, 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 I've been away for two weeks. I haven't even seen my own church. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, I've come from Common Ground Seapoint. I've been there for uh, the better part of three and a half, four years now. Um, I have a wife, Michelle, a little two-year-old boy called Harrison. They are about to embark in a couple of minutes on a mom's and the very little one's group at our house. So let's see if I have a house when I get back. I think it's going to be pretty carnage. To be honest, I found something on my, um, on my pants this morning that belonged to my two-year-old at some point, it was in his mouth, and I, it was too late as I was putting my pants on to, to make another plan, so I just, uh, just embraced being a, a dad. Um, but thanks for having me here. We're in our James series, and um, let me just start by asking this. Don't you guys find it wonderful, thrilling, that the world just seems to be getting less angry and just more peaceful? Don't you guys feel that? Don't you just love that your news feeds are just consistently just filled with um, understanding and compassion. Um, uh, you know, people just seeking to understand one another. Political divides just, just, just decreasing. People able to just disagree with each other better. Less war all over the globe. No? No. All right. Pretty much everything I said is not true. Um, and I think the, the facts and our experiences both tell us that. Uh, whether it's uh, on a global scale or whether it's just in interpersonal relationships just, just around here, um, I think we could agree that the world seems to be getting more angry. Um, Gallup Research, which is a brilliant organization, have basically looked at statistics from about 2008 onwards, and pretty much every year they say the world has gotten angrier. And their latest stats were in 2020. Uh, I'm not sure if 2021 went up as well, or if you know, we plateaued, who knows? We'll see what 2022 holds. But it seems all over the show that we are living in an increasingly angry world. And you might want to ask the question, why? Why? What's causing this? What are the things underlying it? And I think there's lots of reasons that um, we don't necessarily need to unpick and unpack today. I'll just throw out a few thoughts. I think we do live in a very globalized world, so there's lots of competing worldviews, um, which means uh, we have m multiple different definitions of truth and foundations, which makes it hard to, 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 to chat with one another if you're just coming from such completely different um, uh, worlds and, 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 and moral foundations. We just, we've got fake news flying all over the show. Uh, we've got the rise of the smartphone in the last 15 years. So we've got social media um, just on access all the time with algorithms that just send us down rabbit holes that are echo chambers that are just complete, completely putting each other into camps. Um, and we just send ourselves down into one camp and everyone else just seems further and further off and unlike us. Um, and you can also jump in on the bandwagon on social media where you're unable to actually spend time getting all the facts, but you can create content now that, um, that further puts out fake news or opinion pieces um, and just add to the strife. 
And underneath all of this, I think we've just got classic human selfishness, classic human um, self-preservation, pride, all these ingredients that just make for a hostile environment a lot of the time. Um, and as I say, we contribute to it. We've all played a part in this, whether it is on social media or whether it's just in a conversation with someone, right? Where there was a moment where you know you should have held your tongue. If you are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a moment sometime in the last week where you should have held your tongue and then you didn't. And then bad things happened because of that. And this is true not just for Christians, but for non-Christians, I think if you're here and you're exploring Christ, um, you could agree that a lot of this stuff that I'm saying right now is an experience that you are familiar with. And so this anger directed to people in God's world, we could say that's what we've said about now. But I would say there's also anger in this world directed to God's word. These are two, two different types of angers. Um, and just think of it right now. Have you ever been angry at God's word personally? Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, I think, I think many of us have had times where we've been angered by God's word, by something that we've read there. Now, we could be wrong. We may have misunderstood, misread, misinterpreted God's word, and therefore our anger might not be justified in that moment, whatever it might be. But also, you may have read God's word 100% correctly and perfectly and are still angered by what you read there. Um, and it might be, you know, a whole bunch of different things. And if there are those of you here who aren't Christ followers today, this might be your very reason for not wanting to be a Christian. There's stuff that you found in the Bible that you just don't like, and it, and it, it aggravates you. It stirs you the wrong way at whatever it might be, sexual ethics, the, the anger of God, the, the exclusivity of Jesus as, as the only way to God the Father. There might be a whole bunch of things that just provoke you towards anger. Whoever you are today, wherever you're at, can I just put out an invitation as we dive into God's Word now? Um, there's an invitation that's coming up in our text, and you can find the text. We don't have slides, but it's on your, it's on your page that you've got there. There's an invitation from God um, that's in our text, which is right now to, to practice the opportunity to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. And I'm, I'm throwing it out there for you to, to, to apply right now, before I've even explained any of it. Apply it to God's word as we listen today. I don't think this is necessarily going to be the passage that's going to make a lot of you angry. But if it is, um, be slow to speak, quick to listen. But grapple with God's word as, as it gets unpacked now. That's my invitation to you. Engage with it. Ask questions of God to seek to understand him. So this is what I'm going to talk about. Um, this is my title. How to bring peace to an angry world. How to bring peace to an angry world world. And leading up to this verse, James has been warning uh, against temptation to sin coming from our own evil desires deep within us. And he's been reminding us um, of the character of God, of who God is, that God himself doesn't tempt people to sin, um, but rather God is a good father who gives us good gifts, the greatest gifts of which are probably salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have living inside of us. Um, and this gift of salvation has rescued us from Satan's sin and death. We've been set free through the gospel or what James has called previously the word of truth. And he's going to bring up that phrase again. So that's just a little bit of background of where we are. Let me just read the verse for today. James 1, 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
God, we thank you for your word. And we just pray right now that you would speak through it to each and every one of us. Whatever is not of you, just let it fall on deaf ears. Whatever is of you, um, let, let that word be deeply implanted into us and, and produce change and life um, in our lives. Amen. So I've just got four things to pull out from this passage. Um, and the first is this, is that if you are a Christ follower, you're sitting here today, if you're a Christ follower, remember this, you are God's kid. You are God's child. Okay. Verse 19, James says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Okay. Every time if you read the book of James, every time James kicks off and says, um, my brothers, it's actually uh, sort of a way of him marking chapters in his book. He's starting a new thought, a new sort of section in the letter. But don't miss what he says when he says that. Okay? He says here to his audience, you are my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters. And that's, that's us too. That's, that's you and me. We are beloved brothers and sisters to each other. You are beloved brothers and sisters to each other. He's representing God's heart here for us, okay? As we should too, um, as we should do to each other. God is our father, we are his children, and we are each other's siblings. Now, what I love about this is James didn't know every recipient of the letter that he was sending personally. It was the circular letter that he sent out to all the, 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 the Christ followers scattered across the world, and yet he considers them dear siblings. He writes to them. It's the same with, same with you and me today. I, I know um, most of you, not personally, if I can say that. I know you like this, um, but you are my beloved brothers and sisters. We are one. There is, a, there, is a, there is a spiritual blood that flows in our veins that is deeper than the bloodlines of this world. You are my brothers and sisters, and therefore God is our father, and he's a kind father. He's the father of lights. He's a good father. He loves us. He gives good gifts, and he wants the best for us. And we need to bank that. Before we say anything else today, before we take a step further, bank that in your own heart. Remember, you are God's beloved child. Second, understand what God wants for all of us. This good, kind, loving, brilliant father has plans and purposes for us. What are they? Verse 20 to 21, James says this. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So James says something here, which might be interesting to some of you. He talks about the implanted word, um, and he says that it's able to save your souls. Now, a few things here. The word soul, often in the Bible, actually means the whole person. The Hebrew word does not necessarily just refer to the, the immaterial part of us. Um, it's like when people on the Titanic or whatever sent out SOSs. They weren't, save our souls. They weren't just saving, saying, save the immaterial parts of us. They were saying, save the whole of us right now off this ship. Save our souls. So that's what he's talking about here. He, he's, the word is able to save the whole of you, not just the immaterial part of you, the whole of you. But why does he say able? It's a very interesting thing. He says, the word is able to save your souls. Um, don't we say, don't we believe that if you trust in Jesus, um, someone is saved from their sins, saved from, from the power of Satan and death? I think we, we talk like that around here often. We do in my church, at least in Seapoint. I feel like you guys might talk like that as well. We talk about people getting saved. Um, 
And the Bible talks like that. The Bible often talks like that. But it's not the only way the Bible uses uh, the word. It's not the only way the Bible talks. The Bible actually talks about tenses of salvation, past, present, future. The Bible will say things, the New Testament will say things like, you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. And they're referring to distinct things. They're part of the same package. We need to be able to hold them together as part of the same package. They're part of God's holistic plan of salvation that he wants people to embrace, that he wants you and I to embrace, no matter who you are right now. Christ follower, not Christ follower. So I want to just quickly get us briefly into James's head, into what um, his framework is here, because I think the, the present tense in many ways, and possibly the future tense as well, is what James has in mind here, is what he's, he's pushing towards. If you look at the verse, this is ultimately where the, where the whole passage is going. Something, 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 able to save your souls. And I think this is going to be helpful quickly as well for those of you who are exploring Christianity. You're going to basically get a, a crash course right now in what we believe as as. Christians and a bit of a summary of what the Bible teaches. And so here's James's framework. He's, he has this in mind. There is a good God that we've mentioned already. He created a perfect world. He placed humans in this world, actually in this garden in this world, to cultivate it, to steward it, to reproduce and spread the manifest presence of God over the whole world. Initially, the manifest presence of God, the good, perfect rule and reign of God was with them there in the Garden of Eden. And basically, right off the bat, a multifaceted rebellion happened where human beings turned away from God. We, we turned away from His goodness. We stopped trusting Him. We didn't believe that He was the good Father that He is. Hey, man. Um, and since then, we've all been spreading out over the world. We've all been multiplying, having babies. But we haven't necessarily taken the manifest presence of God with us because of sin. And what's happened is humanity as a whole, in many ways, lives under the righteous judgment of God for their rejection of their loving creator, their good father, and not just for their rejection of him, but because of that, we are consistently perpetrating pain on each other. We are causing strife in this world. That's what sin is. That's, that's what sin is. And sin is the absolute root problem of all the anger in our world today. Whatever does make us angry and makes people angry at each other, at the root of all of those different types of anger is sin. That's the problem. And after a, a failed attempt to restore the world through the, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, um, their failure, not God's, God made a plan to come himself in the person of Jesus Christ to come and display what life under the manifest rule of God looks like to display to people what the kingdom of God looks like, and then to live a perfectly righteous life, to stand in our place on the cross, to take the punishment for our sin instead of us, and then rise from death after he died to prove that Satan's sin and death has been defeated. The, the back of it all has been broken. And whoever trusts in Christ, this is the invitation for anyone here, if you trust in Christ, believe that what Jesus did on the cross is enough to restore you to God, that's what happens. You get restored to God. You get declared not guilty. You get adopted back into the family of God. You become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light. But it's not the end of the story. Jesus Christ is coming back. He rose from the grave. He went to be with God the Father. But one day he's returning and he's going to come up um, to this world or come down to this world, spatially that probably makes more sense to most of you. Um, he's going to come to this world and he's going to wrap up this age. And he's going to usher in the fullness of the kingdom of 
God. It's going to be brought in. There's not going to be a place in this universe where the will of God is not perfectly done. All God's enemies are going to be removed. Those who've trusted in Jesus all the way until death are going to rise again to eternal life. Not just your souls getting saved, but your bodies as well. They will be saved. We will be saved from the grave and final judgment. Hear that future tense. The defining hallmark of this future age, this kingdom age, if you were an ancient Hebrew, you would have said the defining hallmark of the kingdom age is peace. Or what they would have said, shalom. Wholeness. Wholeness. Perfect peace on all levels. So if you're a Christ follower, to use the Exodus metaphor, went through Exodus last year, we've been set free from sin and slavery, but the fullness of the promised land is still coming, if that makes sense. It's fine. It's fine. Bless you. Bless you. I hope you're catching these tenses of salvation. We, we've been made right legally before God, but one day we're going to be sinless experientially. Thank you, brother. This is amazing. The kingdom is spreading out, not just from here. We've been saved. We're going to be saved one day. But right now, where do most of us find ourselves? The present, right? We're in the present. And God calls us to live transformed lives, as we're going to see now, for multiple reasons. One of which is on that day, it's going to demonstrate that we did know God, that we were truly saved from our sins, that, that the power of sin was truly broken in our lives. We're going to be resurrected physically to eternal life. There's a bunch of reasons we'll explore now why he calls us, James, to, to live a new life. But that's what he has in mind, which is why he calls us to pursue what he calls the way of righteousness. Pursue the way of righteousness. This is my third point. Verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, because of this, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. What's he saying here? Well, the righteousness of God that he mentions in, in the text, and you can look at it in front of you, um, it's not the declaration that you have been made right before God. That is a thing that is 100% true, and you get that through faith in Jesus. But he's talking about here the product of that faith and the product of that righteousness in our lives, okay? We're positionally righteous because of our faith, but we are meant to be growing in practical righteousness, if I can say that. There should be a right living that is starting to happen and right relationships between God and others that is coming out in our lives. And so James is saying, put to death all sin in your life. Why? Because it's not befitting of who you are. That's not who you are. You've been set free from sin. It's not going to produce the kind of life that, that you can be living and should be living, and, and should desire to be living. You've been born again. You're a new kind of person. You're not who you once were, okay? You're a new creation, and you are part of that new creation that is coming, where there is complete shalom and complete peace. And so James doesn't want us to be double-minded. Remember, that's part of the big idea of his whole book, okay? He doesn't want us, for example, thinking that uh, starting is all that counts, rather than both starting and finishing in particular, okay? He doesn't want us thinking that ignoring the word of God and not actively pursuing the way of God is somehow going to produce fruit and goodness in your life and the lives of, of those you encounter, which is what God wants for us, which is what our good father wants for us. Okay, God wants us to receive our final salvation, 
okay? Our resurrection one day. He wants us to confirm that, that we really did know Jesus. We really did call him Lord and we knew him as Savior. But also this, he wants present salvation in our lives. He wants present salvation in the small day-to-day moments of your life and my life, okay? We can be set free from the, from the power of sin in our lives, okay? We can escape the penalty of sin in the future at the, the active judgment day of God. But here's the thing. In our lives now, when we do sin and we are all sinners, and so we do sin, when that happens, there are consequences in our lives and there are consequences in the lives of those around us and the world around us. And what you could call this, some theologians would call it, the, the, the passive judgment of God. The active judgment of God is coming. But there is a passive judgment of God where he hands us over to the, the consequence of our sin sometimes. Okay, We reap what we sow. But God wants to save us from having to experience that. Please hear me. God, wants, God doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want you to have to go through the consequences of your sin. And, and, and see what that, that sin does in your life and the lives around you and the world around you. He doesn't want that. He loves us too much. That's why he's written it through James. That's why he's got me up here speaking to you this morning. He doesn't want that to be the experience of your life, which is why he tells us specifically some things that we can do here. Be slow to speak, that's to speak quick to hear others. Be slow to speak and be quick to hear others. And um, let me just say this. I think we need to start with being slow to speak to ourselves about others. Because that, that's what happens long before we start to speak to others or speak about others. We speak to ourselves about others. Think of it this way, okay? Before we speak to others, we've made a plan in our head of what we're going to say to them, okay? And we tell ourselves things about people. We do this all the time, for, for better or for worse. Um, and maybe many of you have been in conversations with a friend or a colleague, I've been in them recently, where you realize that either one of you or both of you have completely told each other stories about the other person or the other party that are actually untrue. But, but in your mind, you managed to join a whole bunch of, of dots and come up with a story that you then believed about this other person. And then you acted on that and you, you, you spoke about it. And it wasn't maybe until the conversation that you realized, oh my goodness, I've had other lenses on and I've had confirmation bias happening for my little story, which probably isn't true. We've assumed things about other people. And the huge problem with assumption is that we don't have all the facts. And um, you don't get all the facts until you've had a good conversation with someone, if this is an interpersonal thing. And thereby, what's happening is you are huge, hugely risking telling yourself a lie and acting out a lie and telling lies about other people. You are hugely risking breaking one of the Ten Commandments by assuming things before you've got all the facts in. It's the exact opposite of, of one of Paul's descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13, where he speaks about believing all things, believing the best, assuming the best of someone until all the facts are in. Innocent until proven guilty, basically. And so we need to be slow to make assumptions about other people, about friends, spouses, situations at work, whatever it might be. It's got to start there. But then we need to be slow to speak. To others and be and 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 be able to hear them quickly. That's what James wants us to do here. So very practically, I think we need to work on this conversationally. Um, and there are some maybe some skills we can grow in this area. Um, but for example, when there is a disagreement or there is 
um, an argument or someone might have feedback for you uh, personally or maybe it's a job, uh, what do you call it, like a job review or a job feedback moment um, and there's something that could spark or really just cause resentment in your, in your heart, um, seek clarity. Let's work to seek clarity together. Um, seek to understand where the other person is coming from, whatever the conversation might be, okay? And the primary way to do this is to listen well. James has brilliant psychology here from 2,000 years ago. In conversations, we should probably worry less about speaking and, and, and worry primarily about listening, all right? And I'm growing in this. I, I know this. Like, I am, I am prone in conversations to to not let people finish and jump in, assuming, assuming I know where they're going and assuming I know what the point is they're going to make, even though they haven't made it yet. And I just want to cut them off and just stop them before they say something stupid because I'm, I'm the all-seeing, all-knowing person. And um, <clears throat> this, this can even happen in elders' meetings. Um, and uh, someone, a fellow elder is talking, and there'll be a moment, because I know I'm about to do it, because um, I just feel my wife's hand on my knee. <laughs> And she knows, she, she can tell, she sees me about to like interject, which is wrong. And I have a sort of early warning system, which is really, which is really helpful. And genuinely, I'm so grateful for that because um, so many times I've assumed the wrong thing and then they've made another point. Or if I do think they're wrong, let the person finish. It's just a courteous thing. Um, and I was on the other side of this the other day. Um, I, I got a little taste of my own medicine. Um, a bunch of us were away somewhere and uh, a, guy, a friend and I were having a, a rather robust theological discussion. <clears throat> And there was another young guy who was a, a, a young leader at, at Common Ground Rondebosch. And after the conversation, he came up to me because he was next door to us. And he just said, hey, to be honest, all I heard from that conversation was moments where you repeated about five times in a row. Can I finish? Will you let me finish? Can I get my point across? Just hold on. Can I just finish my point? Can I get my point across? I got a taste of my own medicine in that conversation um, where, where I was just trying to get my point across. And God, I think, just graciously showed me a little mirror of what it's like to be on the other side of me often. But if we're going to speak, if we are going to use the opportunities in conversations to speak, and there may or may not be tension on the table, use it to ask questions to genuinely understand the other person. Okay? Things like this. Just help me, help me understand. I know that sounds like a cheeky question in our day and age, but it's a genuine question. Help me understand what, you, what you're saying here. Why do you say that? Um, how have I done that? Just clarify that for me. Help me understand. Why do you think that you feel that way? And keep asking why about four times, apparently, and you will typically get to the answer that you're looking for. Um, and we often cloud our own selves in that kind of judgment. Oh, it's because of this. Oh, it's because of this. It's because of this. Oh, it's really because of this. I think we've all known those moments when people have probed. And this can be applied to all sorts of conversations. Um, remember, this is, a, this is a world where people are angry at people, but it can also and needs to be applied to God's word. And maybe there are times when you are angry with God's word or you're just trying to understand God's word. Ask questions of it. Why is James saying this? Why would God intend that? What am I missing? How can I understand this better? I think we can use these tools when we come to understand God's word. And typically what you'll find is this, this, this questioning and these conversations diffuse most, most tensions in conversations. You will realize that what seemed like this whole mess and, and, and confusion and anger between the two of you, you realize, oh, there was just a little part over here where we actually just agreed. We pretty much agreed on 98% of what we're talking about. We completely missed each other because of this 2% here. 
And you might still agree to disagree on that 2%. That's fine. That, that's life. We're not going to agree with everyone and everything. But you can still maintain the peace. You can restore the relationship and be clear on where you actually differ as opposed to just thinking you are both aliens, not understanding one another and are completely opposed to each other. This is the kind of thing James wants for us. Even in this community, in your church, hopefully if, if you are a community and you are growing together, this is going to sound really strange, but there will be disagreements and there will be tensions. If there's not, you're probably not really doing life together much. Tensions will arise, disagreements, things that could, could cause friction. If we're able to do this, if we're able to understand each other better, we'll be able to love and serve one another better. And that's going to happen from being slow to speak and quick to listen. And then James says, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. And I think what he's referring to here is more what you do with your anger um, than, than just stopping the feeling from arising. I think if you want to just stop the feeling from arising, um, probably repeat step one, which is go and get the facts and have a good conversation with someone if there's, if there's tension. But when you are angry, I think there is, as, as unspiritual as this might sound, pray and just hold yourself. <laughs> hold yourself in that conversation. Hold your tongue, whatever it might be, especially if you haven't had all the facts and you haven't had the conversation yet. Okay? Anger legitimately acts like alcohol on your brain. It shuts down your ability to reason and to think straight and have long-term goals in mind. Okay? Malcolm Gladwell, speaking of alcohol, said it makes you a little dumber. And I think, and I think anger does the exact same thing. And just think what happens in child tantrums, but also adult fits of rage. What happens? Careless words get thrown. Physical violence can often happen. We want to do whatever we can in the power of God to just hold ourselves. Trust that there's something better coming. Trust God that he knows what he's doing and just hold our tongues and hold ourselves. Take a breath, step back, preach to yourself that you are not the all-perfect, all-seeing, all-brilliant person that you may think you are. Ask yourself questions. Do I have all the facts? Have I had all the conversations? Because otherwise, your anger might be entirely unjustified. And my goodness, we don't want to be acting on anger if that's the case. And remember, to, as James said earlier, to give into your anger is to give into those, those dark impulses, those, those dark sinful desires. And when we do that, it leads to sin, and that gives birth to death all around us in our lives. And don't get me wrong, there is a thing called righteous anger. It is such a thing. That is when all the facts are in and there is truly something to be angry about, truly something to be horrified at. And what we'd hope in that moment that the proportions of the anger would match the proportions of what is causing it. Um, but even still, in, in moments like that where there are, there are people involved, I think what God wants for us to do is come in with massive amounts of mercy and compassion, particularly if the person is, is sorry or repentant. Remember this. The call of Christ on our lives is to pursue justice for others, not vengeance for ourselves, and just wash everything with the grace of Jesus Christ. That's exactly how Jesus responds to you and to me. And that's huge. That's what we need to preach to ourselves in those moments, which is exactly the last point from James here. Receive the work of God's word. Receive the work of God's word. Verse 20, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Do this and receive with meekness the implanted word. Put this away, receive this. This is the word of truth that James spoke about last week, if you guys did do James last week. 
great. Um, okay, It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he's done. And if you're a Christ follower, which is probably the majority of us here, this word is implanted in your heart. You've received the good news of Jesus. That's that why you're a Christ follower. That's how you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. You have received it. But what he's saying is, let that good news of Jesus, let the gospel of Jesus and everything that flows from that, all the implications of it, let that shape who you are. Let that shape your inner world, your mind, your worldview, your heart, your emotions. Let it do that. Meditate on it. Think about it. Gossip it to one another. That's what he's asking here, okay? Christ's mercy and compassion towards us through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the, the death of the Son of God, that's what we need to remind ourselves of every single morning, okay? At the beginning of the morning and in the heat of the moment, remind ourselves that we were once people who were completely wrong, who had angered a good God, and yet he laid down his life for us. I think that would transform the way the conversations we have would be happening. This is the implanted word. And James says, receive it with humility, with meekness. Recognize that you don't have it all together. That you, thank goodness that you have the grace of God because we need it. We've all made a good, kind, loving, perfect, gracious God righteously angry. And yet he upholds his perfect justice and his, his grace towards us at the cross of Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. For those of you who have not received the, the grace of God, you have not received the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you haven't recognized that you needed it. Maybe the, the thought that you are a sinner like the rest of us has previously made you angry. I want to I just put out to you today, Receive God's word. Receive the good news of Jesus that he died for your sin. If you're not there yet, if something has happened, first of all, in your heart during today, I want to encourage you to do that. Receive it. But if you're still not there, I want to encourage you to, to go to God's word and ask questions of it. Ask questions of who you are. Have, have you got it all together? Does your worldview actually make sense and hold water? Ask these questions of yourself. Ask these questions of God's word. And do business with God and, and, and come to grips with who he is, who he says he is, what he's done in this world. And for those of us who are Christ followers, my provocation to us is, is to let the good news of Jesus melt our hearts. Okay? We have been put in this world as people to usher in with God, the, the kingdom of God, to be vehicles of the kingdom, to help push back darkness. And one of those forms of darkness is to push back anger in this world. We are meant to be ambassadors of the Prince of Peace. And so to do that, we need, we need the good news of Christ to melt our hearts so that we don't become people who are perpetrating anger or causing strife, but rather those who can be humble in conversations, humble with each other when we are receiving words from other people and be able to bring in the goodness and the grace of God to all the conversations around us. Let these truths humble us before others. And if we want to bring peace and we want to bring shalom to this world, which I think many of us want to do, it's going to start here and it's going to start here and then it's going to start here. There's so, many, there's so much anger in this world that we could try to fix. There's so many problems which are just so far removed that we think we can get behind a keyboard and solve on social media. Do what you can in what you can actually control. 
which is your words, your heart, but the power and the presence of God at work. And you will see, like, like God's plan of the kingdom, spreading from one life to another in your home, in your family, in your church, in your community, in your workplace. That's how the kingdom of God moves and grows. And if you're, a, as I say, if you're someone here who's exploring, can I just, can I just read a passage from the Apostle Paul, um, which I just think makes our case well. This is from all of us who are Christ followers to anyone here who's exploring the claims of Jesus. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And to respond to that, all you need to do is, is turn around from your old worldview, your old way of life, it's called repentance, and trust in Jesus who he is, and who he said he is. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that is meant to produce fruit in our lives, that is meant to bring life and light to this world around us. God, you did not save us that we could be whisked away to heaven right now or just sit back and and, and let the world go on around us. No, you've got deep transforming work to be done in our own hearts, in our own lives. And you desire that to, to splash out onto others. God, we are your vehicles to bring your grace and peace to this world. You have chosen in, in your wisdom to work through people in almost every part of your plan of salvation. Even in, even in, even in, even in achieving salvation, <laughs> you decided to become a human being. So God, help us trust you, that you are good, that we are your beloved children, that you have a plan for people to meet you, to be restored back to relationship with you and to see the fruit of that happen in the lives around us. Remind us that we don't know all the facts most of the time, that we are prone to elevating ourselves, that we are prone to assuming the worst of others. And God, help us by the power of your spirit to be people who are slow to speak to ourselves about others, who are slow to speak to others and quick to hear them, quick to listen, assuming that they may know something that we do not. And Lord, help this practical wisdom from the heart of God make a genuine difference in Bloberg and Cape Town, South Africa and the world. Help us to be ambassadors of the Prince of Peace in this angry time. Amen.